Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not for everybody, but if that making an impact and caring about the bigger world is part of your values, I think it should be for you. And I'll tell you what, there's a huge audience of people. There's 160 million Americans every year that donate to charities that they're going to be more likely to do business with your company or more likely to consider a job with you if you show that you care about those values as well. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey, welcome back. Today we are talking with Matt Ostanek. Matt is the CEO of Grateful. It's a platform to help businesses participate in Grateful Giving. In this episode, we talk about getting the right people on the bus. Entrepreneurship has its ups and downs. Let's talk about them a little bit. And the power of social good for business. Matt shares several insights on this show. You're guaranteed to take away several tips that will make you a better entrepreneur. Let's chat with Matt now. Hey, Matt, welcome to the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Tyler. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Hey, um, what part of the country are you in? I'm in the Des Moines, Iowa area. Ah, oh, right on. Okay. So how's your weather over there? You know, we're getting an early taste of winter here, but we will, we'll see. We've had pretty mild winters the past couple of years, but we got a little early snow and a little bit of early chill. Yeah, I could imagine. Wow. Hey, you know what? I always love to start out with just learning a little bit about you in terms of professionally what you're doing now, maybe what got you to where you're at today. Can we start with what are you doing now? Yeah. And thanks again for the invitation to be on here, Tyler. Again, excited to talk with you today. I'm what we would probably call a serial entrepreneur and that I've started and built several different software companies, also a consulting company. Uh, my current project today is a company called Grateful, which is a platform where socially good companies give to charities that their customers care about. Wow, that's cool. So let's take, I love the serial entrepreneur uh, terminology. Take us through some of your business ventures because I know you've had some successful ones. I'm sure there's been some bumps in the road along the way that probably weren't successful. Could you share some? Yes, and you learn from all of them, right? That's part of part of the journey and part of the growth with it. Exactly. But Grateful is actually my fourth company. So to walk you through the previous three real briefly, my first, I, actually, I started my career as an architect, went to school, for architecture, thought I'd be designing buildings for a career. I still love architecture, but I found that I'm passionate about building software products and companies as well. And my very first software startup was a company called Submittal Exchange. It was a software platform, SaaS, for architects and contractors. That was had a great experience scaling that, exiting that, ultimately working for the acquirer for a while. I also started a consulting company called CVG, 
that does consulting work for architects and other design firms. And I started another software company called FunnelWise that unfortunately was not as successful. But those have been my three previous experiences before getting into Grateful a couple of years ago. Well, that's still a, a good batting average as it goes with startups. I mean, getting one, your first one in particular, going in and the nexting, that's pretty cool. Can we talk about that a little bit? I mean, what led it to an exit? Like if you had to go backwards, what made it successful? Was it unique technology? Was it how you scaled the business? Yeah, I think there's, you know, when I when I coach new entrepreneurs these days, right? I usually like to tell them like at a very high level, there's three things to think about for success. There's do you have the right strategy, the right vision for where you're going and what you're building? Are you executing on it well enough? And nobody executes perfectly, of course. And then lastly, a bit of it is timing. And are you the right, you know, offering the right solution at the right time in the market where there's customers that want that or need that as well? And I was very fortunate with that first company to have all three of those things aligned. That was my first entrepreneurial journey. So I didn't know for sure how good of a fit it was going to be, but I was offering a, a platform basically for architects and contractors to manage documents back and forth on commercial construction projects at a time when things were very paper-based. This was like 15, 16, 17 years ago. So lots of tech, but the industry, that industry had not yet made the full digital transformation. And we ended up being in the right spot at the right time with a great product. And spent several years building that. I was a young guy without much entrepreneurial experience. So I did raise some money from investors, but not not a huge amount by today's standards on that as well. And was really fortunate after building and scaling that for several years to have a larger company that had other products in the construction space that came along, made an acquisition offer for us, and ended up being a great fit working with them for a couple of years. I served on their executive team and they put more money into the business to help scale it as well. So like at the time that I sold the business, it was about $4 million a year in revenue, about 35 employees. They invested quite a bit more. And over two years, we hired about 75, 80 additional people, grew it to about a $10 million a year business as a division of theirs. They actually went public on the New York Stock Exchange while I was working there, which was great to have the experience of going through an IPO with a front row seat. And ultimately, they got acquired by Oracle Corporation, which is one of the largest software companies in the world. And so my former business, uh, along with their other businesses, ended up being part of Oracle's construction software division and still is today. So sorry, that was a lot of words, but a super fast version of what it was like to, to scale that and go into something bigger, if that makes sense. Wow, what a cool story. So when it got acquired, how big was the entity in terms of the number of employees? So my little business, when it was acquired by that larger company, a company called Textura, which is now part of Oracle, I had about 35 employees and we were doing about $4 million a year in revenue on a SaaS product. So that's a decent sized company. And then what's cool about it is once you got acquired, it sounded like they had the capital to help you scale it, which what a cool experience. Now they're not, you're not doing it on your dime to be able to scale up. And then what a cool story to have Oracle actually acquire that company, which I'm sure had other things going on. But that talk about a win, win, win all the way up the chain of, of where you took it. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. It was a great learning experience and a super fun journey with all of that. Yeah, there's, you know, you put a, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears as any entrepreneur that does these things knows that goes into it, right? Like it wasn't all constant fun and joy as you go through it. A lot of pain, a lot of hard work and a lot of hard lessons learned, but certainly a great, great success story. You know, you mentioned three, three tenements, I guess, or three. Yeah, really high level. Yep. Yeah. Of what make you successful. Where do you think most entrepreneurs miss? Is it the timing? Is it the execution? I mean, what, where does it get strategy? Where does that seem to go wrong? Yeah, it, there's issues that happen in all three of them as well. It's a good question. I mean, two of those are under your con- mostly under your control, right? Like what strategy you're picking, what product you're building, what audience you're selling it to, what market you're going into. 
Executing for sure, you know, that's a challenge with many businesses from a scalability standpoint. The one that's less under your control is the timing piece. Definitely learned that over the years and getting that timing right. I mean, you can be too ahead of the timing, you can be too behind it. I think one of the things I advise entrepreneurs on is to start to start aggressively, but also cautiously, right? Like before you jump in and pour tons of dollars or energy into it to really test the market to make sure you're at you've got the right timing in the right space at the right time and to build a strategy around that. Uh, you know, certainly one of my other companies I mentioned, FunnelWise, that was less successful. That one ended up being the timing wasn't quite right. We were too ahead of the market on that with the product that we were offering. But we put a lot of money into that, into building that out before realizing that lesson. And in hindsight, I wish I had learned that a little bit sooner because maybe you could have adjusted the strategy or spent a little bit less in the early days on that as well. So really figuring out that timing piece and where you're out of the market. Sometimes when you're trying to create new things, which is one of the things that I personally like to do as an entrepreneur to build products that are a little bit different than what's actually on the market today to test out and do something new. You really have to learn how to explore that timing piece of it very carefully to get it absolutely right. Because that's the thing that's least under your control as an entrepreneur, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now, timing, I've always in my brain, I've put it as kind of luck to some degree. I mean, there is, there is that part of it too, right? There's an element of it, right? I mean, I, it's not all of it, but it sounds like was your funnel product actually, was it a some type of product of making funnels? Is that what it was? Uh, it was actually a, a SaaS software solution okay. that was for marketing and sales analytics that connected to tools like Salesforce and Marketo and gave you deeper insights into how your marketing and sales funnel was performing. And it was a product I was passionate about because I had done all that stuff in my first business at Civil Exchange, but done it super manually with spreadsheets and trying to get into sales forecasting. That's a complicated challenge. And I was like, okay, I can go build a product that could do this way better. And we did. We built an awesome tech product that could do that. But we found with the markets we were going after with it, like we were just were a little bit ahead of where, where the bigger market was with that because so many companies at that time were so new to using tools like Salesforce and marketing automation platforms like Marketo or HubSpot, that they were still too early in that to be ready to add on the analytics tool on top of that as well. You know, and in hindsight, again, I wish we learned that lesson a little bit sooner on that. Also, ultimately, that was my fault as the founder, but that was a timing issue that took longer to discover than I really realized, if that makes sense. I'd imagine that market, that whole marketing analytics has just exploded at least by nowadays, maybe even nowadays, it's already passed it in terms of, but at least like for the last five or 10 years, that's been like a huge market, right? It has grown a lot. I mean, it really depends on what industry you're in as well. You know, certainly software companies are really sophisticated around that type of stuff. Other industries or verticals are still learning, getting up to speed with really using those types of tools and managing their data. I mean, a lot of that analytics space, not the only thing, but a lot of it comes down to data quality. Sorry, it's kind of a nerdy topic as well, but a lot of it comes down to that, but having the right foundation in place as a business to have the data quality to make an analytics tool accurate and useful for you is a key thing as well. Some industries are there, some are still working on that. Mm, Got it. So I love your story because you've kind of had both spectrums. You've had spectrums where something didn't work and then one that just a fabulous end of story. What If you had to give us some advice in terms of scaling a business, what do you see as obstacles for businesses, particularly entrepreneurs, maybe not in the startup space, but more uh, entrepreneurs that are uh, not necessarily brick and mortar, but they're not venture backed. They're, they're using their own money. What, any advice or wisdom in terms of pitfalls in scaling or things they should be looking at or doing to help their case in scaling their business? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you have to get a really good team in place around you. And I know when you're, particularly when you're not 
venture back, you're going to have a lot of capital. That can be tough because a team costs money as well. But certainly as you grow over time, like that is the single most important thing for scaling, right? Getting the right people on the bus, getting them in the right seats. You know, that was one of my big learning curves. Even from that first business, we were doing a lot of hiring after we were acquired and growing. Like not all those hires were the right fit. They were good people, but they weren't always the right fit for what we needed to scale. That was part of the learning experience I had with that. But building and shaping that team both at a leadership level, the people actually out there doing the executing, doing the sailing, uh, doing the selling, doing the customer support, writing the software and that type of business, you know, getting the right team members involved, like learning how to balance the human side of that is so critical as you start to scale as well. Yeah, that's probably one of the most important lessons on that. But I think part of what a lot of entrepreneurs go through, particularly if you're not like venture back and pouring a lot of capital into it, right, is learning figuring out what really matters in your business versus what it's okay to let go of, right? There's a saying in business, like you can be, you can be king or you can be rich, right? Like in terms of you can be like the king in control and manage every detail of every single thing, or you can be that there's no guaranteed success with it, of course, but you can be the guy that really, or gal that lets things scale up and really makes a lot of money and builds a very successful business around it. But to do that, you have to let go of some of that control. And ultimately that's a process of discerning like what really matters versus what can I trust others with focusing on what you're good at as an entrepreneur, but building a team around you that can do the rest of it without you sweating it as much. That's such a, I'm speaking at a high level because it's a high level topic, but it's so key to be able to scale successfully to figure out those differences as well. Do you have any secret sauce in terms of uh, picking the right people or, I mean, do you have any methodology that helps finding the right group and nucleus that you put together? You know, it's part of it is certainly doing a very thorough interview and reference process, right? Spending the time to get to know them, trying to remove a lot of the emotions from the interview process and making it more fact-based. And, you know, certainly the best hires are the ones that have done something similar before. Now, you can't always afford or get those people. A lot of times you have to make the bet on the new upcomer that maybe hasn't done the exact thing, but you've got the potential and the promise, and you see that in them, but really trying to remove the emotions from the hiring process. Emotional hires tend to lead to emotional departures. That certainly has been my experience in the hiring process with a lot of hiring over the years. So really working through that. But even with that, you know, you don't really know till you work with someone for a little bit if they're the right fit or not. I mean, I talk about sales hiring, for example, right? Like I'd like to tell you that I'm I've hired a lot of salespeople in my career. I'd like to tell you that I'm brilliant at it and can nail the right person, but that's not actually true, right? It's still feel like I've got about a two-third success rate with my sales hires that I've done over the years. Like a third of them have exceeded expectations, a third of them have hit expectations, and a third of them just haven't been the right fit for various reasons. And even today, as a more experienced business grower, I don't know that I have met, can improve those metrics a whole lot. Sometimes you have to bring someone on and work through it with them to really find out if they're the right fit or not as well. I'm not sure if I'm giving you brilliant wisdom here, but you know, work as hard as you can to make sure they're the right fit. But be prepared to kind of learn from that as you go. And sometimes they don't work out regardless of that, but that's really how you learn as you continue to grow and scale your business to figure out what you're looking for with those team members and what the right fit is for you and your culture and the product or service that you happen to be selling. We hope you're finding today's discussion to be beneficial to sculpting your own business success. Head over to 17minutemeeting.com for a complimentary 17-minute strategy session to help you identify and achieve your goals. That's available exclusively on 17minutemeeting.com. Work as hard as you can to make sure they're the right fit, but be prepared to kind of learn from that as you go. And sometimes they don't work out regardless of that, but that's really how you learn as you continue to grow and scale your business to figure out what you're looking for with those team members and what the right fit is for you and your culture and the product or service that you happen to be selling.
I've never heard that phrase before, but I love it. Emotional hires lead to emotional fires or terminations. That does make a lot of sense because sometimes we get in a desperate position when we want to hire someone or there's emotional reasons that we need to move fast. And that tends to be times we drop our guard or we don't do our right amount of due diligence. And then it leads to a, a frictional parting of ways. That is absolutely the case for better or worse. That's how those things seem to play out. Yes. And then on the sales side, I chuckled a little bit because I think that's one position that's very hard you know, technical positions, let's use, you know, I'm a CPA by trade. You can ask questions that really clearly demonstrate your technical understanding of a of a topic. Sales, it's a little bit harder because, you know, a lot of times salespeople, they're very well-spoken. They usually have really good responses. I mean, it's by nature of what they do, but sometimes it's hard to correlate that in terms of actual results. So I find that's kind of been my experience too. So it's interesting to hear you say, use that as an example of maybe not your best batting average for great hires. Yeah, you learn from it. And there's something, you know, in the software startup space in particular, there's a lot of talk around product market fit, kind of this concept of picking the right product with the right market at the right time to scale a big business. I really believe there's also something around like people product fit or people company fit or something in terms of like you could have salespeople that um, or others that have been a great success in previous companies, but like are they the right fit for your company, your product at that right time with the culture you're building? You again assess that as diligently as you can before they come in the door, but sometimes you have to learn a little bit and run alongside them for a month or a couple of months to really see how that fit that fit works um, to make sure they're right after you've hired them as well, for better or worse. Yeah, it just is what it is sometimes with hiring people. It's not a science, you know, not a perfect science, unfortunately. Hey, I want to talk about Grateful. BeGrateful.org is the website. What is this? Like, share with me and how does it fit with business owners? Yeah. Or businesses in general? Grateful is a platform where businesses, socially good businesses, give to their customers' favorite charities. And it's really cool because we have found that when businesses start up what we call a customer giving program. So lots of different businesses, lots of different industries that are doing this, where they say to their customers or clients, you know, when you do business with us, we would like to help donate to and support some charities or causes that you care personally about. And there's lots of businesses that give, right? But usually the business picks what they're giving to based on the owners or the company's interests. This is kind of turning it on its head and saying, we're going to give, we're going to be generous, but hey, Tyler, if you're a client of ours, we want to support something that resonates with you that you care about as well. And you tell us what it is. When businesses implement those types of programs, what we actually see, not every single customer will partake in that, but many of them will. will, And those customers that participate, on average, will spend 17% more with your business over the course of a year as well. So it's actually businesses that participate in this do this because it's something they believe in and it fits with their values. They believe that business, that we start businesses not just to make money, not just to have freedom. Both those reasons are good, but also to give back, to make a difference, to help others. If that fits with your values as an entrepreneur, you also, you start, you go into Grateful because of that, but you also end up growing your business and making more sales and making more money for your business as a result of that. The extent of that additional giving honestly pays for itself, just amplifies what your business is able to do in terms of social good. And it's a great marketing tool. It's not the reason that most businesses do it. They do it because it fits with their values, but it also ends up being very positive from a business standpoint as well. So we offer a software platform that allows companies to do that automatically across all of their customers and to do it in a very personal manner. And it's a new space. I mentioned, you know, timing, launching products that are a little bit ahead of the market. This is something that's a new concept that we're introducing to people and talking to them about why it matters and how it can help them. But I'm really, really excited about it because we live in a time where there's more social problems than ever, right? You hear about on the news every night from 
education gaps to crime rates to growing rates of hunger and food insecurity to lots of other things. Well, this is a way that business owners and entrepreneurs can really stand up and to help make an impact with those things while also growing their businesses as a result of it as well. Hmm. So just getting a little bit nuts and bolts is it? it's an app. I'm the business owner. Is it, how does it work like physically? Like, do you connect me with the ultimately where the funds get uh, given? And does that just bring all the parties together? Kind of walk me through it a little bit. Yeah. Sorry for the naive question. No, great question. I've been speaking high level, so it's better to kind of jump into the nuts and bolts to explain how it works. One of our customers is a gym and fitness company in Florida with several locations in Florida. And they have it set up when you're a member at one of their locations, they will donate 1% of your membership fees every month to a charity that you pick. And so what happens is we've done an integration. We have lots of integrations with our platforms. We connect to their membership system. So when one of their members or customers pays their monthly membership fee, it automatically takes 1% of that and it puts it into the Grateful platform. And we send an email to that member, to their customer and say, hey, you know, this company is donating on your behalf. Go in and tell us what your favorite charity is and we'll set it up. And you can have more than one favorite as well, but pick a charity and then we'll automatically make sure those funds get routed to the charity. And so it's a great way to connect with things that their members or customers care about. And then we see that those members are more likely to remain customers of theirs and spend more with them over time. And we work with lots of different industries. We work with B2C, we work with B2B companies as well. But that particular example is a good one where they're getting more from their customers and deepening customer loyalty while giving to lots of different causes. Like they end up giving to hundreds of different types of charities uh, that their customers care about because it's very diverse about what is actually on their customers' hearts that they want to help support with those dollars, if that makes sense. Do you have any data points in terms of, since that kind of would make the business mission-driven, yeah. or at least have some level of, of driving good and bettering society, do you find employee retention or acquisition of employees, does that improve in some way? Absolutely. That is huge as well. Both you know, employees these days want to work for companies that have purpose. They have a mission. They're there for something beyond just let's make money for the owner, right? And certainly something like this becomes a very purpose-driven and adds that mission into the company as well. I don't have a, unfortunately, I don't have a concrete statistic for you on what it does in employee retention, but we certainly see with lots of customers we're working with that that's a key part of it, that adding that mission in as well. We have companies that are using our platform with their employees in addition to using it with their customers. It can be very powerful for that also. But with the right type of employee, it's very, very powerful in today's talent market to attract new employees and to retain key people as well. Yeah, yeah. I really like the the idea of the platform. I think it makes it easier for businesses to be able to adopt that into their program of what their values are and their vision in terms of helping people. It allows the customer to be deeply connected with who they're doing business with and have a voice in who they're also helping using their own funds. So I think it's like kind of a win-win. I think like it's it's really cool bringing all these parties together is a really cool tool. Yeah, we're very excited about it. Again, a new space, but we're growing in it and working with lots of great businesses. You mentioned our website, begrateful.org. If you don't mind me putting in another plug, we've actually recently launched a site called sociallygoodcompanies.org that is a public directory of companies that believe in social good. And it's actually got listings on there that we've created for companies based on public data, and we asked them to go ahead and update it. They don't have to be a grateful customer to have a listing on there. But there's thousands of companies that believe in giving, that believe in social impact, that share information on there in lots of different categories, from accounting firms to fitness chains to everything else on there. 
And it's a great resource that we intend to grow to help people find and do more business with and also look for job opportunities with companies that believe in this type of thing as well. Very cool. What would be some objections that a business might have that they wouldn't want to go this route? Like, does anything stand out that they'd say, hey, this might not be a fit for us other than they just don't want to be charitable? (laughs) You know, it's not for everybody because it's got to be a fit with your personal values from the business owner's standpoint as well. That's the biggest thing we run into. You know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I put a lot of work. My other businesses have been more traditional, build cool products, make some money, make a return for me, for my investors, you know, treat our employees well. Like those are good things. For me, in the past, I've been pretty focused on, you know, take care of your customers, take care of your employees, right? Like I think a lot of business people get that. But I really, as I reflected on my career growing into a great form, what I'm doing today was like, you know, I care about people. I want to help, but I want to broaden my horizon and help people outside of my own business as well. It's not just about me. It's also about the bigger world that we live in. Some people get that, right? Others... That's just not what they're interested in. And I think that's the biggest objection that we run into. I had somebody, we send out, honestly, I send out email outreach to business owners, ask them to participate in this. I get a mix of responses on this. I had one the other day, he wrote me a nice little reply and said, you know, Matt, I work my butt off. Those weren't his exact words, but I work my butt off to grow this business. I've sacrificed time with my family. I put in blood, sweat, and tears on this. And you want me to give my money to somebody else? That, That was his response to me. And I was like, okay. You know, I'm not going to argue with you on it. This either fits with your values or it doesn't, but that those are the objections we run into. It's not for everybody, but if that making an impact and caring about the bigger world is part of your values, I think it should be for you. And I'll tell you what, there's a huge audience of people. There's 160 million Americans every year that donate to charities that they're going to be more likely to do business with your company or more likely to consider a job with you if you show that you care about those values as well. So that's the audience that we're trying to talk to with this type of thing. You got to applaud the guy. At least he, he took the time to respond and he was point blank. Yeah, At least he was honest. I appreciate it being honest. Yeah. Do you think your model, your business model, does it... It seems like it would have the most impact where the customer is a consumer. Is that a true statement? Um, meaning, I using the fitness model, I mean, I'm considering... I'm thinking of myself as a member. Very visible, makes me a little more attached, but I'm thinking like a bigger company that's working business to business, would that have the same impact? If your customers are people, ah. regardless of whether they're consumers or other businesses, then it has as much impact on both sides. If you work with people, now, if your customers are like automated robots, then yeah, it's not a good fit. <laughs> but if there are people, B2B companies work with people, those people have hearts as well. I worked and I've gotten to know a woman in Colorado who owns a, a staffing agency there. She's actually been doing this model manually with her clients for years where she actually gives 1% of her recruiting fees to charities that her customers care about. Her customers are all B2B, but they're people still. And she's been doing this for like eight or 10 years. And she actually created a wonderful video about it several years ago before I ever met her or launched Grateful, uh, talking about like the impact from some of her customers of another company offering to give to some of them as well. It is just as applicable in a B2B space as it is to B2C in my experience. But it's a fair question too. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, hey, I, before we wrap up, I always like to ask guests one question, and that's around a business or if you have a business or a life tip for us that we could apply to our daily lives. Is there anything that stands out for you that you could share? Well, I, there's lots of advice I can give as an entrepreneur, right? No shortage of that from the journeys. You know, I think one thing that you really have to think about every business that you try to build as an entrepreneur, like it's going to be a struggle, right? There's going to be, it's like rolling a big rock up a hill. And if some days you push that rock forward, some days it rolls back on you a little bit, like keep up that effort. It's going to be a fight. It is going to take time away from other parts of your life, from family and everything else. 
you know, make sure whatever you're doing is like a battle worth fighting for as well. Like it's something, regardless of what type of business that you're in, that it's something that aligns with your personal values that you care about deeply. Um, so to give you that passion for the days when things are, aren't going as well, but also to make it worth the sacrifice that you give over time as an entrepreneur, as someone building or scaling a business. Yeah, a lot of wisdom there. I appreciate that. So your website again is begrateful.org. Your company yes. is grateful. I'll put it in the show notes on thinktyler.com. If people wanted to reach out to you, is there any way, other way you'd like them to reach out to you? Any other websites or other places? The website is great. I am pretty responsive. I try to be on LinkedIn as well. Another trick with LinkedIn is you have to spell my last name correctly, but I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes as well. So people are free to to reach out to me on there, but also on our website. It's a great way to find us. Awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's it's great. I think it helps people. I think it gives us all purpose and vision and belief in what we're doing. So you're doing the right thing. I really appreciate your time and I hope you can come back someday. Thanks so much, Tyler. It's been great to talk with you today. You too. Take care, Matt. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.